And um, uh, life or death question, stand or fall question. And when I wrote this, there was a, uh, the question was, uh, well, Liz Truss, you turn on the economy. It's been overtaken by events, hasn't it? But that's not the big question. There's bigger questions than that. Uh, what is the key to human flourishing? Now, that's a big question. But, um, and uh, all the matters of uh, human rights, of inclusivity, ethnicity, sexuality, all that sort of stuff, very important. But there's bigger questions than that. The question of religion, whether you believe, uh, whether you're religious, we had some chat on our local street WhatsApp chat, people saying, I'm not religious. Well, I would like to focus really on more than whether you're religious or not, or whether you have a belief in God in some shape or form or not, because there are lots of believers in lots of religious things that get it wrong, and there are lots of gods. And uh, the big question I would like to focus us on is, who is Jesus? Because that is the central question, isn't it? Who do you say Jesus is? That's a life or death question. That's a stand or fall question. It is the stand or fall question. Who is Jesus to you? Who do you say that he is? Who is Jesus? And uh, historically, people have batted this question over. I mean, one of the ways of saying it is there are not many options. He's either mad or he's bad or he's God. He doesn't leave us lots of options. I mean, that's one way of putting it. He's mad. Things he said are crazy. Or he's bad. The things he said are malicious. Or he's God. The things he said are true. And uh, that question is asked in chapter 8, verse 25. They said to him, Who are you? And that question is hovering over all of these verses, and I'm going to try and dip into them this morning and look at what it says on this question, which is a life or death question, a stand or fall question. And I invite you this morning to work on this with me as we look into these verses. So there is a context. Those of you who've been coming regularly will know that uh, chapter 7 and 8 in John's Gospel is Jesus at the Feast of the Tabernacles, uh, the, the, or the Feast of Booths. It was a, an ancient Jewish festival uh, commemorating when the uh, Israelites came out of Egypt in that great act of deliverance, and then they were living in tents as they uh, marched across the desert. And as it was celebrated in the time of Jesus, up there in Jerusalem where the temple was, there were a, 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 a great display of lights and water. I got them the wrong way around. Uh, 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 water pouring and uh, lights and illumination. And it was a, a wonderful, amazing festival. And Jesus is at this festival. And what he says is really quite remarkable as we shall see. I've been looking at these chapters, I think probably uh, since my 20s. I remember when I was at university doing a, uh, leading a Bible study group on John's Gospel, and I still haven't got to the bottom of chapter 7 and chapter 8. It seems like a, 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 an interwoven uh, like threads that are, that, that are somewhat tangled up or whatever, 
throughout these chapters, there is misunderstanding, running, as it were, as a, a thread. Uh, there is confusion. There is division. And it's all to do with who Jesus is. And, you know, there were different sectors in the crowd, weren't there? There was a crowd from the north, the crowd that were local. There were the uh, different uh, Jewish representatives. And there's just sort of thread running through the chapters. And in the midst of this sort of confusion and division and misunderstanding, there are two huge features, two claims and invitations. And... uh, In 737, there is this great declaration by Jesus, full of clarity, uh, full of invitation. If anyone thirsts, I should say, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out in a loud voice, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And there's this great declaration and invitation of Jesus uh, um, in the midst of this confusion. And then the second great declaration invitation is in 8.12, which we looked at last week. Jesus saying, in this light festival, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life couldn't be clearer could it and it stands out as a clear invitation in the midst of this confusion and uh, as a background to this what are they confused about what are they divided about well they're divided about his origin and this is just recapping uh, in in 727 they say we know where this man comes from and when the Christ appears no one will know where he comes from so they say we know uh, but we shouldn't know, so he can't be, he can't be Jesus. He can't, Jesus can't be the Christ. And then other people in 741 are saying, uh, others said, this is the Christ. But others said, but he comes from Galilee. And the scriptures say that Christ comes from the offspring of David and from Bethlehem. So it can't be right. So they get confused about this. Some people saying we shouldn't know where he comes from. Other people saying, uh, but we do know where he comes from, from Galilee. And then other people, and then saying, but he ought to come from Bethlehem. Oh, it's very confusing. They're confused. Uh, and, of course, they, they don't know the, the background story. But Jesus insists, actually, the important thing to know is I've come from heaven. That's where I've come from. And they just debate about his authority, his words. And we looked at this the other time, didn't we? Uh, which is verse 17. Um, uh, this is chapter 7, verse 17. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether my teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. And that crops up in the reading that we had. Is Jesus doing this off his own bat? Or does he have backup from heaven? And Jesus says, it's very obvious I have backup from heaven. My Father endorses me. My Father bears witness will, with me. And uh, we have that in chapter 8, verse 18. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And we looked at that. That's a whole theme running through John's Gospel. I'm not going to pick that theme up today. But you have the the witness of the Father in Scripture and in the witness of of, uh, the signs that Jesus is doing. And these all combine to 
to show that he's not just speaking as a, a lone, crazy man. Context of the signs he's been doing, the miracles, in other words, and the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, what the Father has given. And Jesus can say, if you, if you knew your own Scriptures... you believe Moses, then you believe me, says Jesus. And you don't even know your own scriptures. So that's the sort of confusion that's going on. And in this particular passage, I'd like to pick up two of these sort of threads. They actually run right the way through the, 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 this, these two chapters. But I'd like to pick up the thread of his destination, which is that, and their destiny which is going to be enlarged upon next week, I think. So these two things this morning, his, his destination and their destiny. So let's start picking up that thread. So his destination, in verse 14, Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from, And where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. So that matter of where I came from and the thing we'll pick up, his destination, where I'm going. Verse 21. I am going away, you will seek me. I'm going away. So referring to his destination. And then it says at the end of verse 21... Where I am going, you cannot come. Something like that in your Bible? Where I am going, you cannot come? Yeah. And uh, they get confused about this. In verse 22, the Jews say, what does he mean? Uh, Will he kill himself? Is that what he's talking about? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. Is this the destination that he's he's going to uh, kill himself? And in 734, we had a similar sort of confusion. In 734, Jesus said, you will seek me. Uh, I'm sorry, let me take it up from verse 33. Jesus said, I will be with you a little longer than I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me. You will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. So you see, it's a sort of repeated idea of Jesus' destination. And that, in, in that bit, they get it wrong as well. In verse, chapter 7, verse 35, they say, so is he going foreign? You know, is he going to the, uh, the distant, uncouth nations, the dispersion amongst the Greeks? You know, that the, the Jews had been sent off to different uh, locations. Uh, it's called the diaspora. And he says, is that where he's going? Is he going to the sort of expat communities uh, all over the place? Is that, is that what he means by saying, you will seek me, you will not find me, where I go, you cannot come? So it's confusion about his destination. But Jesus is quite sure about it. He says, you don't know, but I know exactly where I'm going, I know where I come from, and I know where I'm going. He has a very definite destination. And he even says this to his disciples Just pick up, would you, in chapter 13, verse 33, where at uh, that last uh, supper, that last discourse with his disciples, chapter 13, verse 33, he says to his disciples, 
Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. So it's a bit of a thread, isn't it, that goes through these chapters. I know where I come from, I know where I'm going, I'm going away, where I go, you cannot come. But he does give us some more information about it. Uh, And uh, in chapter 14, verse 2, he says, In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. Sorry, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? There's some information. Why is he going? He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Uh, So let's try and tease that out. Jesus says he's going. And I want to sort of emphasize that and said, why did Jesus come? He came so that he could go. See what I mean? What did he come for? He came in order to achieve this exit. And what is the exit that he came to achieve? When he talks about going, he's talking about the cross, isn't he? He says, I'm going to go, I'm going to go via death on the cross. I know where I'm going. I know what this destination is. And my journey takes me to the cross. He knows that he came so that he could go to the cross. And this cross is an act of enormous, costly sacrifice, isn't it? He goes to die. I know where I'm going. He's going to the cross. Um, It's an enormously costly and generous thing. He's going to die under the wrath of God. He's going to die in pain that we can't work out. It's going to cost him that to prepare a place for us. And I just think of the Lord's great generosity. Um, Very occasionally, I've been... Now, I think this is almost fictional. Let's imagine it, shall we? Let's imagine that you're invited out and somebody says to you, I'll take you for a meal. And you're thinking, McDonald's. You're thinking, pizza. And they take you to this really posh restaurant and you think, well, I didn't even dress properly. And as you go in, you see the price list and your eyes nearly pop out of your head. And you say to the person taking you, do you know how much this is going to cost us? And they say, don't worry, I'll pay. It's all on me. Jesus goes to the cross to spread us the most enormous sumptuous, abundant meal of salvation. And as we say to him, do you know how much this is going to cost? And he says, absolutely, it's all on me. Enjoy. He came in order to go. Jesus says, I go and I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going 
to prepare a place for you. I don't know whether it's singular because I didn't look it up in the Greek, but let's, the implication of it is singular, isn't it? For you, for you, for you. I go to prepare a place for you. I think it's worth just trying to relish that thought, isn't it? What did Jesus have in mind when he went to the cross? To prepare a place for us in the Father's house. And uh, I have a little anecdote of this. Going, we went to Exeter to meet my, uh, uh, my daughter's future husband's mum and dad. And we said, we'll meet you in the car park and walk up together. He says, I'll tell you what, we'll meet you in such and such restaurant in the grounds of Exeter Cathedral. Does Exeter have a cathedral? I seem to remember it. Yeah, uh, and, uh, oh, okay, we'll meet you there. And uh, Maggie, um, father-in-law, no, whatever he is, um, had uh, gone ahead and we looked for him and he'd got there and he'd bagged the best seats in the upstairs bay window of the cafe so that we could overlook the grounds of the cathedral. And uh, he'd gone ahead to prepare a place for us. We thought, oh, why can't we meet you in the car park? It's it's a bit, um, you know, um, have you nipped off? But no, he'd gone ahead to get the best seats uh, for our pleasure, and he took pleasure in going ahead and doing that. And the Lord Jesus says, I haven't nipped off, I haven't left you alone, I haven't forgotten you, I've gone to prepare a place for you, and it'll be my pleasure to receive you in that wonderful place with a far better view than Exeter Cathedral um, and a far better company even. Uh, I've gone to prepare a place for you. He came in order to go um, and... How wonderful a saviour he is, isn't it? I know where I come from, says Jesus. I know where I'm going to. Let's uh, just explore this theme still. Um, In chapter 8, verse 28, Jesus says, in the midst of this confusion, I notice uh, chapter 8, verse 28, is another piece of certainty Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, or NIV says, I am who I claim to be. And I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father has taught me. So this I found interesting because it says that um, there will come a time, uh, there will be a situation where it will be possible for you to know with certainty Uh, What does he say, I know with certainty? I will do nothing on my own, but speak as the Father taught me. You will know that this that I've been saying about my relationship with the Father is all true. And when when I'm lifted up, you will get it. Uh, And in a sense, they they didn't get it up until that point. And there's a number of references to that. Um, The lifting up on the cross... I'm sorry, the lifting up that he spoke, speaks of is, of course, his lifting up on the cross, isn't it? Um, as, as Moses lifted up the, the, the serpent in the desert, so will the Son of Man be lifted up. When I'm lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Uh, he's talking about the cross. 
It's his way of speaking about it. And let's include with that the lifting up from the grave, and let's include with that the lifting up to heaven in his ascension. It's all part of his lifting up. I know it might focus on the cross, but it includes the rest as well. And he says, in the midst of your confusion and your misunderstanding and your hang-ups about whether I came from Galilee or Bethlehem or whatever, um, you will know who I am when I'm lifted up. You will look back at that and it will all make sense. May we just look at a couple of verses which have the same sort of theme. Uh, Please look with me to chapter... I told you you had to work this morning. Chapter 2, verse 22, which is when Jesus spoke... um, when he, put, when he did the, uh, what they call the cleansing of the temple, and he spoke about, destroy this temple, and in three, day, uh, three days I will raise it up. And in 3 verse 21, he was speaking about the temple of his body, and verse 22, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what, that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. It's interesting, is it? They didn't understand it then. After he was raised from the dead, then they believed the scripture and the word he had spoken. So there's something about getting to that point. When I am lifted up, then you will know. Same thing in chapter 12, 16. It's a, a little bit of a theme in John. Um, this is about the triumphal entry. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. There's a sense that when you get to the end of the story, everything else sort of makes sense. You perhaps go back to the beginning and read it all over again. The cross and the resurrection complete the jigsaw puzzle, if we put it that way. The last piece, the cross and the resurrection, is as it were the last piece, and you click it in, you say, I can see it all makes sense now. Or if you like to use an architectural illustration, do you know how they make arches out of bricks and stones? You get them in uh, over in Lewis in the Priory, and if you... Do you know how you do that? You, you make a wooden a sort of frame and then you put round the top click, 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 click bricks like that in, a, um, in an arc and it only is strong when you put the last one in, which I guess is the middle one. When you put the last one in, you can take away the brick framework and it all uh, holds steady, strong as a rock. Till you've got the last one in, it's all wobbly. When you put the last one in, bang, it's all clear and strong and definite. And I want to say we are in the privileged position that we can look back at the cross and the resurrection and we can know that he is who he claimed to be. We can know that he is who he claimed to be. And I say, believer, do you know that? And I want to say, believer, be confident.
Believer, don't be doubting and wobbling and wavering. You can know that he is who he says he is. And we can be people of assurance and confidence and not people wobbling around all over the place in our lives because we know the last uh, piece of the jigsaw has been put into place. And the not yet believer, if you are still wobbling around in your life and you're still not sure and you still haven't put your whole weight on the promises of Jesus, I want to say you can put your whole weight on the promises of Jesus because his cross and his resurrection put us in the position where we can know that he is who he claimed to be. And it all makes sense. And I want to invite you, if you've never done this, to put the weight of your life on the promises of Jesus. Perhaps you've been coming to church. I've a number of people I don't particularly know this morning, uh, so I can sort of suggest this to you. I don't know your background. Maybe you've been coming to churches. Maybe you're still not quite sure. Maybe you're sort of tossing it up and sort of not quite committed to Jesus Christ. And I want to say his cross and resurrection can make us so sure that we can lean the whole weight of our lives on him and he'll hold that weight. Think about his destination. Let's think just for a few minutes about their destiny because this is where the conversation moves over to. His destination, their destiny. He has things to say about his uh, audience. I have things to say in judgment of you, says Jesus in verse 26. I have much to say about you and much to judge. And that theme will be developing, I, I presume, as we go in these next weeks. Let's just say a little bit about it. His hearers are totally sure that they are spiritually okay. And I, I know people like this. I've met people like this. And if you begin to suggest that maybe they're not on the right track, they will say, how dare you say to me that I don't know God? Or something like that. It quite, can get quite um, stroppy about it. But Jesus isn't afraid of stroppiness the way that I probably would be. He says, you don't know God. Uh, and, don't, and I'm not going to endorse you thinking that you do know God. Uh, in verse 33, they say, uh, it is stroppy, isn't it? We are offspring of Abraham and we've never been a slave to anybody. Am I in the right verse? I think I am. Um, yes, we're offspring of Abraham. You know, we're right. Look at, our, you know, look at our birth certificate. You see, they thought that their ethnicity as Jews meant full stop, that they were right with God. And Jesus says, no, you're not. Uh, verse 41, uh, this is not what Abraham did. He says, you are doing the works your father. Uh, let me pick this up. We are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus says, no, you don't. In verse 50, 55, he says... You have not known him. I know him. You don't know God. And uh, let's just ponder this, that the phenomenon of false spiritual security. 
false spiritual security. We know God. Don't you dare tell us otherwise. And for them, of course, it was resting on their ethnicity. But uh, I, I guess in our society, insofar as people would claim to be religious, and I guess that's less so in Brighton than in Hove or in other places, uh, but uh, people would say, well, I am a basically a good person. I'm basically a good person. People do say this, don't they, uh, in various ways. You know, I'm good, virtuous. And you think how little you know yourself. Wouldn't you agree with that? You're a Christian. You've come to realize the horror and the abominable nature of your sin. Is that right? And you sort of surprise yourself because you begin to have the eyes to see your motives, your uh, planning, your background thoughts, and you begin to see how the opposite of good we are. Jesus said, you, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. Uh, that's the first, the first humbling thing that we learn when we become Christians, isn't it? I'm not as good as I thought I was. But people go around thinking they're good people. And uh, let me just say, if you think you're a good person... What you're actually saying to Jesus is, well, you're a waste of space. Because what Jesus came to do is die on the cross for sinners. And if there aren't any sinners, and if people are basically good, you know, what a waste of space Jesus was. If righteousness could come by the law, Christ died for nothing, Paul says. And uh, I would just urge you to think twice. Because I, I mean, understatement, I have an enormous respect for Jesus and his view of things. And I think if he, his view is that we're not good people, I think you need to reconsider if you think I'm all right because I'm a good person. Or things like, um, you know, we go to church, we go to church, that's less true in Brighton than it is in, in other parts of the world, but, you know, say I go to church three times a year or something like that. So that makes me a Christian. I suppose the logic is that that's the same, that if you go to a stable three times a year, it makes you a horse. Um, you say we come from a spiritual family. And, of course, these Jewish people would say that, you know, par excellence. We, we're Abraham's family, so that means we must be spiritually right. And... Uh, um, well, Jesus said, you know, from that most spiritual of families, you still don't belong to God. I mean, how much is that true of your family? You might say, well, my mum and dad are Christians. I was uh, christened or baptised as an infant. That makes me a, a Christian. Well, it doesn't. Uh, you need to be born again. Uh, so false spiritual security. Or you, you could say, and people say this, well, we used to be very keen Christians. You know, I was baptised when I was... 15 years old or whatever and, and I want to say it's not what you used to be it's what you are now isn't it it's not what you used to be it's what you are now uh, Jesus said if you, if you were Abraham's children you would be doing the things that Abraham did and uh, what's important is what are you doing now where are you now you know where, where's, where's your praying now Where's your commitment now? Where's your heart now? False spiritual security. Beware the danger 
of false spiritual security. And let's just to tweak that a little bit more, the danger of false spiritual security. Jesus tells them in verse 24, this is pretty horrifying, isn't it? I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. I think that's a horrifying thought there. Jesus says to these people, perhaps some of them very quite respectable, respected people, unless you have the right answer to this big question, who am I? You will die in your sins. Uh, It's a solemn, serious thing, isn't it? Just to be clear, there are no further chances after you die. All the chances are now in this life. You know, take the opportunity now. Don't put it off. You don't know how much life you have left, actually, do you? Please don't put it off till you're on your deathbed and you can't even think straight. Uh, You know, you need to sort this out now, don't you? It's, um, you will die in your sins. Um, Dear Sister Colleen, some of you will remember, when she lived round in Hanover, am I saying the right word, Hanover Crescent? Her, uh, one of her family came and said, I will decorate the room for you, auntie, granny, or whoever it was. And she said, yes, oh, I'd love you to decorate the room. And so whoever it was, who was somewhat inexperienced, did a wonderful job of decorating the room that got paint all over the carpet. There's no way of getting that stain out of the carpet. It was in the carpet and it stayed there. Could not be removed. And how about dying with the stain of sin still stuck in our lives? Can't be removed. As deep a dye as can ever be, you will die in your sins. The stain not removed. I don't fancy that, do you? Like a debt that's been incurred. Think of what it might be. Speeding ticket, barking fine, whatever it is. Whatever you do, you ignore it and hope it goes away. But it's still on your record. And the police are still looking for you. And the county court judgment is still against you on your your credit card. uh, On your credit record, rather. And it can't be taken away. It's still there. It's still stuck there. The guilt remains. A penalty unpaid. And to die with the penalty for our sins unpaid is horrific. We go to meet with God. He'll say, ah, hang on a minute. We've got a record of this. This doesn't seem to have been paid. These sins don't appear to have been paid for. You will die in your sins. It's horrific, isn't it? It doesn't bear thinking about. Like a penalty unpaid or a conscience uncleansed. Those horrible things, but perhaps it's only me, but <laughs> I guess there might be other people in the room who can think back of awful things you did, which you squirm with embarrassment for and wish I hadn't done or said. 
and it plays on your conscience, and you think that 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 was wrong, uh, and I know it was wrong, and I can't get rid of the fact in my conscience I know that was wrong, and I have you know, um, it's on me. Jesus takes that away, you know. But to have it unremoved was an awful thing. It's an awful thing in life, isn't it? To look back and think, that's what I did. But to get to your deathbed and know that you're going to face God and that debt is still on your record to die in your sins. I mean, what a horrific thing. And Jesus says, you will die in your sins. The old cowboy films... I, I think about, I used to see, watch The Lone Ranger when I was little. I don't have The Lone Ranger now. It was very simplistic, as all goodies and baddies. And nearly always, the baddies ended up in quicksand. I don't know why this always happened. A little bit like Lassie, you know, where the dog comes and goes, whoop, 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 whoop. oh, really? Old Buster is in the quicksand? We must go and get him. Right. And uh, quicksand is this, this phenomenon that you, you get in, uh, but you can't get out again. It sort of sucks you down. Uh, and the, the thought of being sucked down and, and lost with no one to help and no one to pull you out, just being lost and lost and lost. To die in your sins, isolated from God, isolated from his goodness, just being sucked further in and further down, it's a horrible thought, isn't it? And Jesus says... If, da-da-da, you will die in your sins. So I'm just being clear about it. This is, what, this is why it's so important to know who Jesus is. If you don't, you will die in your sins. And there's an, an unless, isn't there? I, in, my, in my Bible it says, unless something, you will die in your sins. Um, I think the unless is important, isn't it? Isn't there a way out of dying in your sins unless something would you like to know what the unless is I certainly would unless you believe that I am he says Jesus or translated unless you believe that I am who I claim to be you will die in your sins but if you believe I am who I claim to be you will not die in your sins which to me is good news there is a remedy There's a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. There's a way that the stain, which is so deep, can be washed clean. There's a a way in which the penalty, which has to be paid, is paid. Books balanced. Free. There's a way in which that guilt on the conscience can be wiped away. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Isn't that good? Washed away, taken away. The state of sin, the sort of lostness of it. Uh, We're brought, even as sinners, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We're, We're back home, even imperfect us. There's a wonderful good news here, isn't there? We won't have to die in our sin if we believe in Jesus. And eventually we'll be free of the presence of sin. And what it says is, do you believe? 
You know, it doesn't say you're going to climb a mountain. It doesn't say you're going to make your way on your hands and knees across hundreds of miles of desert. It doesn't say you're going to make yourself a better person. It says, will you trust him? Isn't it? Will you trust his promises? When he says, my cross is sufficient, if you put your trust in me, I will look after it and wipe all your sins away. You're going to take, you're going to take that on trust. Because that's what being a Christian is. If you believe me, I'll do it. Why don't you do that this morning? Why don't you believe him? Believe that I am he. All that he said he was is true. When he says, I am the light of the world, if you follow me, you won't have darkness. Are you going to follow him? You know, the next step, he says, follow me. And you say, okay, I'm up for that. I'm going to follow him. I am the light of the world. He underwent darkness to replace our darkness with light, I think is what Daniel said. Very, put it very well the other, the other week. And he, in this chapter, he says, I am the water. I give the water of life. If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. We could just take that, couldn't you? Are you thirsty? Are you dying without him? Are you dried up without him? And he says, I give you living water. I give to quench the thirst of your soul, to make you alive instead of dead. Will you come to me and drink? I mean, let's put it in those two simple terms. Will you follow him? Will you drink of him? Because otherwise you die in your sins. And if you follow him and if you drink of him, you don't die in your sins. I think that's great, personally. There is a flowing river. From his side flowed blood and water. Uh, the flowing river that flows from the wounded side of the Saviour. Let's drink from him. We thought this morning, folks, about his destination. That he comes from the Father and that he goes to the Father via the cross. We've remembered that he says, I go to prepare a place for you at enormous cost. It's all on me, says Jesus. And I ask you whether you're a believer in this, do believe him. And then we talked about their destiny, the f- people who had false spiritual security. And I say, please don't go out of this place with your false spiritual security intact. I hope it's at least shaken at. And this <clears throat> in extreme danger, if you don't believe, you will die in your sins. Please don't go from this room this morning with that written over you, you're going to die in your sins. What an awful thing to be your, uh, your future, your destiny. And he says, uh, you know, you don't have to die in your sin. The remedy is to believe in him, to believe in Jesus. Um, cost of living's gone up, folks, hasn't it? You go to the supermarket, you see a good deal on butter or whatever it is, you take it. Uh, And here I've described to you the cost, not of living, but the cost of eternal life. And it's a free offer for those who believe. Don't go away without taking up this brilliant offer. We're going to sing a song together. We're going to sing a song about the future when he comes to take us to be with himself. There is a day that all creation is waiting for, a day of freedom and liberation for the earth. On that day, the Lord will come to meet his bride, and when we see him in an instant, we'll be changed.